0: Father, we just thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. All these years, you have never failed me with the word. I have failed you many times, but you have never failed. You have always given me the word for your people. From 1994, Till today, never, Lord, have you failed me. want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Father. Often, Father, we have taken your word so lightly. But it is the word that became flesh, dwelt among us. It's the word that brought salvation. It's the Word that sanctifies us. It is the Word that sets us free. It is the Word that will judge us one day. I pray, Father, today and in this coming year, You'll give us a new hunger for Your Word. A new desire for Your Word. Renew us from within. I pray even today there would be open ears. It would hear your voice behind the word. Mind that understands. For your word says after your resurrection, you opened their eyes that they could understand scripture. Believing hearts. After your resurrection, you rebuked your disciples for not believing pray, Father, today there will be believing hearts. And above all, Father, give us the strength, the will to obey. Help us to go one more notch, Lord, in our obedience in this coming year. For even about your own very Son, Jesus, it is written, In the days of his flesh, you heard him when he prayed because of his reverent obedience. Help us, Lord, to walk in that same path you have shown us. Speak to us, Father, now. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. All Martha's can cease and Mary's can be seated. I know there are many things that concern life. Be seated. Be still. Know that He's God. We are at the end of the year, the 52nd Sunday. Tomorrow, another year. We don't know what the year holds for us. We always hope. But let our hope be realistic. Always have to tell this. Let our hope not be based on uh, feelings and emotions. Because emotionally, feeling-wise, we want things all to be calm and quiet. Things won't happen necessarily that way. Because scripture doesn't say anything like that. Scripture actually says it gets worse and worse and worse for God's people. As we get closer and closer. What remains is God remains the same faithful, true, and good to us. So all of our hopes should be rooted in Scripture, in the reality of God's Word. So another year is behind us. It's over. Looking back at 2017, every one of us here primarily has three choices. We can either sit and worry and rue about the mistakes and the failures of 2017. Or take it lightly. They ignore the mistakes and failures of 2017 and continue in them in 2018. That's one of the primary reasons in every school curriculum. You have history. People don't understand why that old fathers, ancient wise people put history as one of the subjects is so that you would learn from the mistakes of others. One of the seeds, not just to know history. Okay. We can have to make the second choice of ignoring all that, taking it lightly, continue then the same way in 2018 or take the new year literally as a gift from God to make changes, to make necessary changes and move on to a closer walk with God. The bad news is there is nothing you or I can do to change the past. But the future, something altogether different. We can't change our past. We can only hand it over to him. Repent, confess, allow the blood of the Lamb cover it. But future is something else. But when we look into the future, Proverbs 17 and verse 24 says this. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A little difficult, but simple. To make it very simple, what this proverb means is a wise man has focus. The fool tries to do so many things and ends up doing nothing or finishing nothing. That's what happens to lots of people. Today, many resolutions will be made. and If you check out in the world, what I have understood is one of the biggest resolutions of 31st December of every year is to lose weight the next year. <laughs> but usually it doesn't last more than a week. That's what it means here. The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. He has too many things in his plate, he decides. But finally ends up doing nothing. But the wise man is very focused. word focus will come back in the evening. Okay, We will look at focus. But keep that in mind. Okay, We need to have focus if you want to achieve anything. Not just in the world. People in the world know those. all achievers in the world had focus. But let's leave the world aside. In the kingdom too. If we don't have focus, we end up actually not fulfilling God's purpose in our life. The wise man has focus. Most people who don't have focus, it's because they do not know what is important in life. What is important in life? That's what scripture teaches us. What is it? Like kids in school know. Like when you come to 10th grade, they will tell you, math, English, these subjects are compulsory. You cannot afford to fail. If you fail, you are detained. So you know, though you have many subjects in school, all subjects do not have the same importance in the same way in life. Though we have many areas in our life, many goals in our life, all of them don't have the same importance. So evening we will look at that. But taking care of the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead, one of the first things everybody needs to do if you want to move ahead with God and the life he has promised through his son, Galatians 6 and verse 5 puts it across this way. For each one shall bear his own. It means, if you really want to put aside all the mistakes and the failures of 2017 and start fresh with God 2017, one of the first things you need to do is take responsibility for life. Everyone needs to be responsible. Responsible for their own life. Accountable for their own actions before God. Each one shall bear his own load. Ultimately, you and I alone are responsible for our own life. Though there are others around, ultimately, we alone are responsible before God. One day, each man, each woman, each child will stand before God alone and give account. The reason is we live in a culture dictated by false psychology where no one has to take responsibility for their life. You can always blame something or somebody. And that's what permeated the final day's culture. You don't have to take responsibility. You can always blame it on circumstances, parents, school, culture, nation... And GTC, because of sound doctrine, they have this incredible technical, scriptural terms they will, even the little ones when they are struggling and caught with their hand in the cookie jar. I think it is iniquity. <laughs> These are all excuses. Iniquity has its own place. You cannot come out of iniquity. Unless you take responsibility for your actions. So, scripture says, each one shall bear his own load. Each one of us are responsible for our own life. Like I said, for people in the church who are believers, everybody has been given the same salvation. Everybody has been given the same word. Everybody has been given the same spirit. Everybody has been given 24 hours. In 2017, nobody got 25 hours. Everybody got 24. That's what the book of Corinthians, Paul records about Israel's history, says, I, brethren, and I want you to remember our fathers who came out of Israel. They all ate the same food. They all ate the same water. They were all baptized in Moses. They were all brought out by God. But God was not pleased with most most of them. Except three. So we all have been given the same word. Saved through Jesus. Same word. Same spirit. And 24 hours. We will be all be accountable for these three. All of us sitting here in this coming year and the year that passed, we all faced or we will face two kinds of circumstances, primarily, generally. One is circumstances over which you and I had no control. I have no control. Okay? God knows that and scripture proves that. He does not hold you or me accountable for it. Okay? For circumstances... Over which we had absolutely no control. Like simple thing. Nobody has any control over into which family you were born. No control. But everybody had control after that. What are you going to do in that family? There are a lot of circumstances. We have no control and God doesn't hold us accountable for that. The way he puts it very beautifully in the book of Jeremiah he says this. In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. He says no. Everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats sour grapes his teeth shall be set on edge. Not his children's.
1: He says I don't
0: Blame you for circumstances which are beyond your control. But for what is in your control, you have to bear blame. Okay? So God does not blame us for circumstances which are beyond our control. That is why Paul will say these beautiful words in the book of Acts, those seasons of ignorance, God has overlooked. He winked it. If you didn't know, he looks at the Gentiles. The Gentiles don't know what sin is. And he says, okay. I'm not going to judge you on IPC section 1, 2. He says, general sin. You come to my son, all that I forgotten. So, you didn't know. Okay? We do not have control over many, many things in the world even in the most free democracy, we have the power of only one vote. Okay? Power of one vote. Why nations will go down and nations have gone down is because a generation will arise always that refuses to take responsibility for their lives and their actions. If I don't take responsibility for my action, God cannot save me. I told you on Christmas Day, God will never save a man in his sin. Jesus did not come to save us in our sin. Jesus came to save us from our sin. If I, he has to save me from my sin, then the first step is I take responsibility for my actions. That's what Scripture says. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Okay, That's the first when you deal with circumstances. Therefore, then comes the second set of circumstances over which we have control. What we have control over, God says, be careful about how you respond to those circumstances. Each one has to bear their own load. I personally know of people, when it comes to general life, who have never held on to a single job for more than six months. You ask them, Always blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. Honestly, people who lived like that and have retired. People who were never there for a blessing to their families was always a burden. That's why we have to be very careful. There is a God all-powerful God who is willing to save us and save us to the uttermost. And he has all the power to save. But for him to begin his work of salvation, there is one thing he expects us to do. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. And be willing to forsake. And he is able to save us. They say in life there are three kinds of people. The accusers, the excusers, that's a new word, okay? And the choosers. At the end of the message, you can decide which one you want to be. The accuser, they blame everybody else for their problems. And it began 6,000 years ago in the garden. It didn't begin yesterday or today. It started with the old man Adam. When he was caught, when he was questioned, he said, it's very interesting how he puts that. He's very good in grammar. The woman you gave. Very good. Construction of the sentence is fantastic. Okay. The woman, you gave. Me, I'm innocent. But God has a different take on that argument to the first one. You know what he says? Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Meaning, the woman was blinded. deception means you were blinded and she fell. You went it with your eyes open. You knew what you were getting into. She didn't. You didn't hear anything the, the serpent said. You didn't listen to his logic or argument. Nothing. You only knew, you ha- I believe this way, if you read scripture, because certain things are silent. Adam heard only one voice. The devil heard, the, Eve heard two voices. He heard only one voice and he disobeyed knowingly that voice. While the woman was deceived by the second voice, scripture says Adam was not deceived. But he won't take responsibility. You know? So this is the first set of people. They are the ones who we call accusers. And accusers cannot be redeemed. Accusers, the merciful, kind, loving God, cannot save accusers. Somebody said once, when you point your finger <laughs> at somebody, three fingers are pointed at you and one at God. Okay. But the classic case in the Bible is Ahab. We have learned from certain characters. Certain characters are special characters in the Bible. And Ahab is one of them, because you have to look at it. Like if you look into the Bible, you have, if you look at Genesis, chapter 1 to chapter 50, 50 chapters in the Bible, and you have Noah given a lot of space, and after Noah you have Abraham being given a lot of space, Isaac comes a little space, Jacob is given a lot of space, Joseph is given a lot of space. So when this amount of space God gives to individual characters in the Bible means stop Learn from them. Okay? One of the persons, in, interestingly, one of the persons who is given seven chapters in the Old Testament is Ahab. Seven complete chapters are devoted to this man. And he's introduced to us this way in First Kings chapter 16. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Before that, scripture will actually, you don't have to turn there, will say that Omri did evil more than all the others before him. This is the guy who overshot his father also. Okay. So when God devotes seven chapters to a man who is introduced to us in this manner, God says, take a break, learn of this guy, never go his route. God shows his long-suffering and patience with people. It actually reveals the heart of God if you study the life of Ahab. How God deals with people. He's evil. And we know scripture so well by now. A prophet will suddenly appear. In 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. In today's, today's uh Language, he gives him a weather report. What is that it says? The Lord of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall neither be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Today's people will read it and say it's global warming. God says no. It's my word. It's my word. It's going to be pretty hot in Israel for the next three and a half years. No rain. Don't even hope for dew. No rain, no dew. Now, pause a minute. Wait a minute. When you read stuff like this, no, I'm teaching you how to read Scripture. When you read something like this and says it shall neither rain nor be dew, then you need to go back and ask in Scripture, when did God this say last in Israel's history? There always is a precedence, Right? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and see the incredible guideline. Because physical facts how God dealt with Israel, we translate that spiritually how he deals with us. Deuteronomy chapter 11. The land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. Where you sowed your seed, watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is the land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. What does it mean? What does it mean? God says your life, the life of the people in the world is different. The people of the world, they have to work hard and they have to take care of themselves. But upon you, My eyes are there. And you are dependent upon what comes from above. You will have mountaintop experiences. You will have valleys. But I will watch you from the beginning of the year till the end of the year. Their life and our life is not the same. Not the same. They feed by working hard slogging. We are fed because we are faithful to Him. We serve a faithful God. In verses 13, He says, And it shall be, if you earnestly obey my commandments which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you rain for your land in its season. The early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. He says you will never lack the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will be always there. key is this, walk in obedience. Love your God and serve him with all your heart, all your soul. Then, I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. On the other hand, he says in verse 16, take heed to yourselves. Lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside to serve other gods and worship them. You turn away from the living God and then start pursuing other gods. Not necessarily idols, but focus is gone from God to other things in life. God says, the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heaven so that there is no rain. The land yield no produce. And you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. The land is, heaven is shut. The anointing is gone. And you are dry inside. And you suddenly realize you are just wasting away in this life. Because our life is different. From the others, the Lord of Christians says, "I don't know why this guy is prospering, that guy is prospering. He's more lazy than me. This is more wicked than me. Nothing is happening to him because God says you are different. I have set rules for you, which is not for them. It doesn't work the same way." What Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. He says, walk and serve me with all your heart, all your mind, all the days of your life. He says, from January 1st to December 31st, I will watch your ear for you. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. We'll never lack anointing. The anointing will bring in everything. Was there drought in 2017? Was there drought in your marriage? Was there drought in your home? In your office? In your ministry? God told Solomon, a day will come when I will shut up heavens. Then my people who are called by my name. They humble themselves. Come back. Cry out to me. I will hear your prayer from heaven. And I will start the work of restoration. Get this very clear, children of God. Our lives are not the same as those who do not know God. What we have is the life of Christ. That is God's beloved son. Today, even now, when God is looking upon all of us, he doesn't see us. He only sees his son in us, in whom he is well pleased. On January 1st, 2017 to 31st, if his son did not grow in us, He's not pleased with us. God is not pleased with anyone Of No man. Because no one is good. There is only one who is good. It is him. It is God. It is Christ. That is why I said. Works makes no difference to God. The only person who makes difference to God. Is Christ. Though so God allows drought. So that. We can allow Christ to take over. And not ourselves. Even after three and a half years of drought. During these three and a half years of drought, what was Ahab doing? One of his generals, Obadiah, will tell us what he was doing. The Lord your God lives. There is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. God's word has come. Because of God's word, judgment has come. What is he doing? He's hunting for that fellow who brought that word. We get mad at the word of God. We get angry at the word of God, which is basically at God. He's searching the whole world to destroy Elijah. And Elijah is the only one who can save him. And all he had to do, instead of searching all the nations, the only thing he had to do was search his own heart. To find the reason for the drought in the land. That's what David did. One year it's a famine, he said okay. Second year famine? Third year famine? He said hang on. (laughs) Three years famine? What's wrong? He went to the Lord and said Lord, why is there famine in the land? God said this, you didn't do anything but your previous king did. Put that right, famine will go. He says okay. But we don't want God intervening with rain. Because it demands change from us. So we go to Baal. We also have Baals in our life. I am not talking about this Baal. Baal, Baal bach kaya. Hmm? So after three and a half years, when finally God sends Elijah to meet him, because God has compassion over the people. Listen to his response. Okay, three and a half years of severe drought. As it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you? Troubler of Israel. You trouble, you keep on preaching this word and only trouble in the lives of my people. Troubler of Israel. And he said, I have not troubled Israel. But you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. He so, I didn't, you did. The question is, 2017. What am I, what are you? What are we? Are we the accuser? The blame game? We read that verse. In Deuteronomy 11, right? You watered it by foot. You worked hard. Do you have to work hard for the rain to come? No. Do you have to work hard to irrigate? Yes. You work hard to please man. But he says, I am taking you to a land. It's a land of hills and valleys. Both are there. We'll have good times. We'll have struggling times. But water comes from above. It'll come from above. Life is not a plane. We want life to be a... a Everybody in the world is trying to make life into a plane. Please. I don't want to struggle. I want to look at two terms in the Bible so that we understand the difference. In John chapter 14 and verse 27. Peace I live with you. My peace I give it to you. Not as the world gives. So the world also gives peace world also. Christ also gives peace. What's the difference between the world's peace and Christ's peace? In the next portion in 16. In this world you will have trouble. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. The only way you can have the peace of the world is if you compromise with everything the world says. Some churches will say we are never attacked because you never preach the word. I face no trouble in my workplace. You know why? Somebody said this. You have no trouble in your life. That means you and the devil are headed in the same direction. There is a peace which the world gives Everybody in the world wants that peace. That peace. That peace, the price of that peace is compromise. It's compromise. You compromise with the world, there is no trouble. Even young people, that's the pressure they face. What is peer pressure? The Pressure to become like the world. Talk like us, drink like us, smoke like us. Listen to the same music. Watch the same movies. No pressure. So we keep on preaching about Joseph and Daniel, Joseph and Daniel. Who wants to be a Joseph? Who wants to be a Daniel? So there are two peace. One is the peace of the world and the other is the peace which Christ gives. But He promises you in this world you will have tribulation. He did not say, I just give you peace. He says, your peace will be in me. You stay in me. Stay in me. So the land God is taking us to is the land of hills and valleys. And Egypt is plain ground. Plain ground. And these people don't want that. Remember the first generation who came out? They said, oh, this is too much. This is too much. This manna is tasteless. We are tired of this word. Oh, we remember Egypt. How we sat under that campfire. And we ate fish and garlic and leeks at no, no cost. Now imagination is working. They forgot this. Make bricks. No cost. Suddenly, you know what, some your imagination fools you. Suddenly, brick making becomes a hobby. <laughs> Few weeks back, they were crying, Lord save us from. No, it's not so bad actually. Don't let the devil fool you. It was bad. That is Ahab, the accuser. Accusers will never take responsibility for their own lives. God cannot rescue you. I'm telling you honestly. He cannot rescue you because when scripture says God is faithful, what is he faithful to? He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his truth. He's faithful to his ways. Not to our warped ways. He's faithful. faithful. These are the accusers, the first group. Second group, these are what I call the excuses. They are not accusers, but they are excuses. They always have an excuse. You know the classic case in the Bible, John chapter 5, verses. Jesus went to that pool. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Once a year, because of God's mercy, an angel would come, move the water, and whoever gets in, gets healed. So they're all lying there. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water, then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, how many years? 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Strange question, right? Who doesn't want to be made well if you have been a cripple for 38 years? Do you want to be made well? Most people don't want to be. Jesus knows us very well. What does scripture say, word seven? Sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. Come on, man. Even if you moved one inch in one year, you would reach the end of the pool. 38 years you've been lying there. At the end of thirty years, you should be sitting there dangling your feet in the pool because you have reached that far, right? Nobody. Nobody to put me in. Not only that, when I am coming, another steps before me. Not only is there anybody to help me, somebody should look at me and say, oh, he's been here so long, okay, I will wait for next year, you get in. It's somebody else's fault. God asks people, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Or are you going to make another year of excuses? In Proverbs 23 verse 13, we have, if I have both versions, yeah. NKJ we will say, the lazy man says, there is a lion outside, I shall be slain in the streets. What did Jesus say? Knock and it shall be? Many people don't believe in it. They are waiting for the door to open without knocking. I am waiting for a miracle. How? God said, he will open a door for me. Did you knock, by the way? Did you send in an application? No, I am waiting for the job to come to me. I'm praying for 90 at least for math. Did you study by the way? <laughs> the lazy man. What does he say? There is he say? Full of excuses. This is a TLB version. Lazy man is full of excuses. I can't go to work. He says if I go outside I might meet a lion in the street and be Excuse after excuse after excuse. Okay. That is our problem. Our problem is we struggle with truth. Our struggle is with truth. The Bible is very clear when Jesus came. The kindness and the goodness of God. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and full of truth. Verse 17 will say, For well, law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is this? The power of God available through the Holy Spirit to meet every need in our life. The problem is not with grace. The problem is with truth. I'll repeat things which I have repeated earlier. You see, God is truth. Truth is not an idea. In the world, truth is an idea. God is truth. And since man was originally created in God's image, no man, no woman, no child can live without truth. Nobody can. You have two siblings, and they go to the kitchen, they take something from the cookie jar, and you catch the small one and says, why did you do it? He will say, she told me to do it. Why? Because you cannot live without truth. It's impossible to live without truth. So what do we do? because we don't know or accept God has truth, we create our own truth. Jesus only asked him, do you want to get well? should have looked at him and says, Lord, what do I need to do to get well? Then the problem is with you, right? When I say, what do I need to get well? The problem is with me. No. You see, you know why I am like this? Because of all this. Nobody said to help me. So we create our own truths. Accusers and excusers create their own truth. The problem, like I said, is here. Grace or truth is not an idea or an opinion. It's not. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Scripture says, I am the way. I am the truth. He didn't say, I will show you the truth. He says, I am the truth. It is the person of God. Truth is not God. But God is truth.
1: Therefore,
0: God cannot contradict himself. God is truth. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So people who do not want to change will always avoid the Bible. Why? Because the Bible demands change. Because that's the only truth. In John 16 verse 13 However when the the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. James chapter 1 18 By his own will he brought us forth by the word of if you haven't received the word of truth you cannot be born again. You just have religion. Everybody is born again by the word of truth. So then the word of truth went scripture says on the day of Pentecost the hearts were cut. What do we do? It's the word of truth. This is what you need to do. Today you are not told to do anything. You just say, just repeat after me. That's enough. You don't have to do anything. So people are not born again. They just change religion. They are not born again. Salvation begins here. Because God is truth. His word is truth. His spirit is truth. We are born again by truth. And we grow in truth. Salvation means you grow in truth. Not only that. In 1st Timothy. Chapter five, three and verse 15. He says I delay all that. Okay, I write so that you may know. How you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. What is this? What is the house of God? Which is the church of the living God. The pillar and the ground of truth. The church cannot be built on anything else not built on signs and wonders and miracles and charity. It is built on the ground and the pillar of truth. Nothing else. Because God is truth. God is truth. See, the problem is when truth becomes a person. When truth is not a person, it's okay. You can handle it and interpret it your own way. But when truth is a person, when you have to face him, we choose to run from him. As long as Jesus did not come into the garden after the fall, Adam and Eve were fine with their fig leaf costumes. They were okay. You look good. I look good. You ate. I also ate. They're looking good in their green costumes. And then scripture says in Genesis, what does it say? Then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. Truth is come. Till then they were living by your truth. You look good. I look good. It's fine. And the animals have no opinion. We are all good. We can live peacefully here. As long as he doesn't come here, we are fine. And then he comes in. And scripture says Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of God. That's our problem. That's the world's problem. That's what's happening around all around the world. Only one name they want to remove from the public square. It is the name of Jesus. They have no issues with any other God. No other God names. They have no issues. This God alone. Why? Because he is truth. Because he is truth. When you realize truth is a person, then everything changes. You see, we hear like hearing messages. We love doctrine. We are very good doctrinally. But the problem is this. In Christianity, doctrine doesn't frame Christ. Christ frames doctrine. You know what Jesus said? This is what he said. If you do not, but you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent him you do not believe. If he telling the Pharisees, you got this word, you know it by heart. But it is still outside of you. Why? Because you won't let me in. You won't let me in. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. You think eternal life is in the word. But His grace, eternal life is in the God of the word. And these are they which testify of me. You take the word and you deny me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. That is why scripture is very clear on the day of Pentecost. After the baptism, scripture says the church gathered daily for what? For the apostles' doctrine. Not any other doctrine, not Martin Luther's doctrine, not Calvin's doctrine, not Zwingli's, not Wesley's, not all, all of them we love them. We respect them. But we go back to the apostles' doctrine. Where Calvin departs from apostles' doctrine, that we reject. When Luther departs from the apostles' doctrine, we reject. Anybody, however great he is in subsequent centuries, it doesn't matter what denomination, what person, when they depart from the apostles' doctrine, we depart from them. Why? This is what Gospel or writer of John says. In 1 John. That was which was from the beginning which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. Our hands have handled. We knew him first. Then doctrine. Our doctrine was not framed by a text. Our doctrine was framed by a person. That is truth. That's a living truth. That Jesus, people run from. But he is the one who can only set you free. Don't run from him. Run to him. So we struggle with truth as a person. Not an idea. Not an idea. As a person. The idea of truth, we have no issues. Yes, Pilate said. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus said, yeah, I am a king. You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born. What is truth born for? To rule. Truth will defeat every lie ultimately. Light will overcome darkness. He says, I was born to rule. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Unless you are born of the truth, And that truth, the person resides in you. You will not hear his voice. You will get doctrine, but not him. The doctrine only make you a Pharisee, who will reject the person of truth, yet doctrinally sound. So he says, listen to the doctrine Pharisees, learn of them, don't be like them, because they don't have me in them. They can teach well, but they don't have me in them. What the pilot says, what is truth? What is truth? And
1: he walks
0: away. What is truth? He says, you are a king? He's telling Jesus, "You, let me tell you, Jesus. Let me tell you my truth right now. My truth is this. I know another king. Called Caesar. My crown comes from him. If I rub these people the wrong way, I will lose this. That's my truth. And I will live by my truth. You know, Everybody in the world lives by that truth. This is true. This is also true. But this feeds me. This feeds me. This is asking for trouble. I'll go by this. I'll go by this. The eternal may be true. But it is far away. The temporal is my truth. I feel anger, I feel pain, I feel pleasure, I feel hungry, I feel thirsty. Where is this Moses? Where is this God? Make us gods which we can control. Take a close look at 2017. Can we face Jesus? We are not talking about this. Just think for it. After service, you go home and you decide you're going to prepare for the night. You're going to go and sit in a room and you open this and he jumps up. What will you do? What will we do? If he steps out of scripture, will we be able to? Then there are no arguments. No arguments. why God is very clear. He tells his children, examine yourself constantly. Examine. Are you grown? Are you grown? Are you grown? Look at that question. in Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself whether you are in the... Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that? That? That's the only answer. God doesn't say whether you know truth. Whether you know doctrine. Whether you have memorized scripture. Whether you fast three times a day. Whether you read your Bible. The only answer is, is Christ in you? The person of truth. If he is not there, then he says, you are disqualified. That's what I said, when the father looks down, he doesn't look at anybody. He's just looking at, is Christ there? My son there? My son there? My son, I'm well pleased with him. When Peter starts mumbling and the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, listen to him. It's my son in whom I am well pleased. Because we will put a spin on it, but that's not the answer. The answer is, is Christ in you? Because every issue, you look at it, every issue, how do we deal it? We deal it very doctrinally. But not Christ. What's the problem in your marriage? No, she doesn't submit to me. Who told you? It's written. Okay. What about Christ? Why don't you submit to your husband? Because he doesn't love you. That's doctrinally correct. What about Christ? Just ask this simple question. Your doctrinal correction is not the point. The point is, will the Christ in you love your wife? Will the Christ in you submit your husband is a question. Suddenly you realize you have no answer. Doctrinally right life is absolutely false. Because there is no Christ. Christ doesn't quote scripture. Christ quotes scripture only at the devil. He loves scripture. He loves it. He loves it. God is looking and says, Yeah, argument right. Argument right, both of you are false. Because my word is always right, but both of you false. Why? My son is not living in you. You are living and using my word. God says, That's not. That's not what salvation means. Salvation means you grow. The question is not, What should I do? Lord, what would Christ do? Whether you're a man, a woman. A father, a mother, a child, a student, an employee. What would Christ do? Because we always forget what salvation is all about. Galatians 4.19, scripture says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is. You know, most of our struggles because we are trying to form ourselves in Christ. Christ. God says, no, that's not salvation. Salvation is Christ being formed in you. So we ask ourselves, what was I this year? Was I an accuser? Was I an excuser? Or was I a chooser? Remember what God told Israel in the beginning? In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that have set before you, life and death, blessing and curses. Therefore, choose. Life. So See, this part, everybody knows because everybody has this book and booklet written by this wonderful brother, Derek Prince, blessing and cursing. Because our eye is on blessing. So everybody knows this. Blessing and cursing. I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose. Life that both you and your dissonance may love, but we don't read what actually God is trying to tell us. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, that you may cling to Him, for He is. He is your life. What is your life? He is your life. Let us say in Hindi, "Tu mere jaan ho." Understood? All the young ones understood. Can you really say? Can you really say from your heart, you know what, Lord? You are my life. The problem is, if you make a statement in English like that, you are my life, then where is my life? It's gone. It's gone. Right? You are my life. Not only that, we are looking at December 31st, January 1st to. December 31st and everybody is waiting for the promise so that I can get the promise and live my life. God says, wait a second. Wait a second. And what am I? I am the? I am the length of your days. You see, the problem is we, in the temporal, we calculate everything in the temporal. Uh, how many days is there in a year? 365, 24 hours. Three hundred and sixty-five, twenty-four hours. God says, are you calculating time that way? Or are you calculating time as me? I am. The length of your days. That's why somebody said, most Christians in the world, if they go to heaven and they don't see Jesus there, wouldn't be very much bothered. Because they only want to live their life here and die and go to heaven. But very few will be like Moses promised land, promised land, promised land. Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with me, I am not moving from the wilderness because you are my life. I didn't leave the throne of Egypt for a promised land. I left the throne of Egypt for you. You are my life. That is salvation. That is salvation. That's what he's talking about. Choosers. You can be a chooser in 2018 and start getting everything into focus and saying, you know what? I'm going to look at life in terms of a person. It's a person. See, that's why right there in the beginning God created an incredible institution called marriage. For this purpose, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become and Paul says, by the way, I am a bachelor. I don't understand this in the temporal, but I understand in the spiritual. Christ is talking about the church and his, and his bride, Christ and the church. Question is, shall live his father and mother and shall become one. Fight in the ba- marriage is which one? Which one? We shall become one. But God is not very clear. Why should I become like you? You become like me. Or we shall meet. Middle ground. Okay? We shall have two chapatis and pasta. (laughs) God says, no. It's neither of you. I am the one. Which one? I am the one. Now let me ask you this question. If you take that struggle in marriages, and Paul says, this is talking about Christ and the church, Can the church, will the church ask which one? Do I become like you or you become like me? Everybody knows it. Which one? They shall become one. Marriage is a symbol. They shall become one flesh. Here they shall become one spirit. One spirit. One. Not two. That means we become like him. That's why he came down and became like us. So that we would become like him. That's why Abraham will make Eliazar swear. Put your hand under Matthai and swear. You will not take my son back. Bring a girl for him who is willing to forsake all and come to him. Never. Yeah. What if she doesn't want to go? He says, it doesn't matter. My son will not go again. She will come. When they ask Rebecca, will you go? She said, I will go. Do you know? him? No. Will you go? I will go. When? Tomorrow. I've said this many times. But you have to hear it over and over again to see the picture of salvation in the Bible. Rebecca and her maids get on the camel and they're starting this long journey from Haran to Abraham's tent. How many Days, how many weeks, how many months, we don't know. How many villages, how many towns they passed. How many crowds they saw. Everything is silent. She must have talked and talked and talked and talked and talked to Eliezer. Only one thing. Tell me about Isaac. That's all I want to know. Tell me about the man I am betrothed to. I want to know what kind of a person is. One person who can tell that is Eliezer because he's the steward of Abraham's household who has known Isaac from the time he was born till today. He has taken care of Isaac so he knows Isaac. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak about himself. He will speak about me. Is that our prayer? Lord, reveal your son. You reveal your son. Anyway, I'm going to be with him all my life, all of eternity. Reveal, 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 reveal. How many people did she see? No questions. But when she saw Isaac, she stopped and said, who is that man? Who's that man? Elias said, that is your Lord and Master. That's you. What did she do first thing? She gets off the camera and covers her head saying, this is the one I longed for. My eyes hadn't seen. Now my eyes see. I come under subjection to your authority. I am yours. That is salvation. That is the end of salvation. That is the end of salvation. It is the beginning of salvation. Will you go? I will go. End of salvation. This is the one I longed for. That is how you measure. That is what God is talking about. I am your life. I am the length of your days. You see the length of our days? What does it mean? Not only that, and you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them so that we may live the life Jesus came to give us. It's just physical for them, for us. It is spiritual. Therefore, I choose responsibility take responsibility for our choices and change our choices to this coming year. Thank God John 1.17 doesn't say truth came through Jesus Christ. Scripture says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No. When truth alone came it was with Moses. That is called law. Law without grace is called the truth without grace is called law. That's why Jesus says not even a dot from the law can be broken because it is truth. But we don't have the power to keep it, therefore grace. Grace is waiting. Many, many lives, grace is waiting. What is knocking at the door? Truth is knocking at the door. Jesus said, I knock at the door of your heart. If you open, what comes in is grace. Keep that truth. Unless we open our hearts to truth, grace cannot come in. That is what repentance means. Turning from a lie to the truth every day. From a lie to the truth. What is truth? Christ. Anybody who thinks I don't have to repent has no clue what salvation is. Ephesians chapter 4, 20 and 21. For you have not so learned about Christ. Read construction carefully. You have not so learned Christ. When you are talking about learning Christ, you are learning about a person. Learning about Christ is knowledge about a person. That is not, that's not how you learn Christ. He says, If you have any, have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is, truth is only in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have truth. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have truth. God does not want legal repentance. You know what's the difference between these two? Legal repentance is a remorse over the consequences of sin. Genesis 4.13 Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Poor me. Your brother is lying dead over there. Not a word. No watch. It's too much. Your judgment is too much. I shouldn't have killed him. I feel really sorry I killed him. Why? Because punishment is too much. That's the consequences of your sin. When you're looking at the consequences of your sin, you haven't really repented. Because that's legal repentance. God says, you know what? You'll be a wanderer all the days of your life. Because you can never come back to me. Because you never have looked at what your sin really is. First Samuel chapter 15, another one. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent or repent. What does he say? Then he said, I have sinned. I have sinned. Yet, honor me before the people, okay? Please, 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 please don't expose me. Please. I don't want to face the consequences of my sin. Please. I know who you are. I know if you speak, everybody will know what I am. Please. Honor me before the people, before Israel, and return with me that I may worship. Why do, why does Samuel have to come with him to worship so that people will think I'm okay? That's legal repentance. Do you get what is salvation? What did Jesus talk about salvation? John chapter 3 he said, Assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot he cannot see. He said, you will not see. You will not be able to see. See what? The? Kingdom of? Can you see the kingdom of God? Do you know when Paul spoke to the king Agrippa? All these kings were very scared of Paul when he started because they ask they come to question him and he gives his testimony. Like today's WhatsApp which you got. That's why God's people are sent into prisons and before officers so they will stand there and say, "Mafia." No, they give their testimony. Look at his testimony. No. Okay, let me come to that. Remember the pool of Siloam? Not pool of uh, the born man born blind. The question, disciples have very doctrinal question. Did he sin or his parents sin? Jesus said neither. It's for the glory of God. He said go, made paste, put in his eyes, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. No other way his healing is going to come. Your healing is to come, you have to obey the word of God. That's the truth. If somebody gives you a jug of water, it's not going to happen. You go to some other pool, it's not going to happen. You have to do what God says because truth sets you free. He goes, his eyes are open. He had not seen Jesus. Parishes are very upset because it's sabbath that is their truth their truth is they are angry with Jesus for healing him on sabbath is because he worked what did he do he took a little mud spat into it he worked So they asked the parents. The parents are very scared. They said, oh, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. There are a lot of dark books like that. They don't know. <laughs> you ask him. He's old. We don't know. They asked him. He said, you look, don't ask me, a doctor. I know one thing. I was? Yeah. Go back to that night. He said, one thing I know. I was blind? I see. That is salvation. Spiritually speaking, that is salvation. I was blind? Now I see. Jesus said, when you are born again, you see. What do you see? Listen to what Paul says to Agrippa. He said, this is what the Lord said. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To open? Salvation first is an opening of eyes. What do you see? So that you turn them from darkness. in. If my eyes are not open to the iniquity and the darkness inside me. How will I turn away from it? That's the first. First act of salvation. You are turned from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. You realize, you know what? Oh my. Gosh, this is what I am. To the point, this apostle will see the darkness in him and he will say, there is absolutely nothing good in me. That is the end of salvation, where you realize and see, there is nothing good in me. If there is anything good in me, it must be Christ. Must be Christ. It is not me. Darkness to light, power of Satan to God, then they may receive... Forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in Christ. That's why Jesus said, your eyes will be opened. Not that you see your physical kingdom of God. No, you see the darkness inside and the light that is available in Jesus. You see it. Constantly aware of darkness and light. It's the opening of eyes. The rest is religion. The rest is religion. Be a chooser this year. Choose God. Choose Christ. Because He is our life. What did Samuel say? So does Saul say? I've sinned. Stand before me. With me. Okay. Please. Please. He only saw the consequences of sin. What did Cain say? My punishment is two. But David? Psalm 51, against you, person of God, eyes have been opened against you, only you, I have sinned. It's not legal, it's genuine, from the heart, I have sinned against you, because you have encountered truth as a person. Because if you only see truth as an idea, you can always argue. But you cannot argue with the person of God. I have sinned against you. And only you have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Betrima is okay with it. The nation is okay with it. My nobles are okay with it. Everybody is okay with it. But it makes no difference. Because sin is defined by you. By who you are. It's not just I have sinned. I have sinned against you. One is just an objective faith. The other is directed towards a person and actually becomes subjective. In First Samuel 15, 30, what he says is I have sinned, but please don't expose me. Before the people. Please don't expose me before people. But David, in Psalm 51, what does he say? Please don't cast me away from your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Did you see the difference? That's an opening of eyes. Lord, I understand what salvation is. Salvation is a person. It's a person. The experience of salvation is when that person comes into you and you go into that person. That's why scripture says, everyone who has been baptized in Christ has put on Christ. It's a person. It's not a religion. You cannot argue with a person. You can argue with ideas. One idea can be countered with ideas. You cannot argue with the person. That's so why we have to be very clear, careful. Saul could never be redeemed. Because he would was not willing to encounter the person of God. It's the same God. Compared to David, his sins were less. It's not the quantum of your sins. You will look, how did he get in the kingdom of God? He was such a terrible fellow. He says, yeah, but he encountered me and he was willing to accept my judgment. He wanted me more than anything else. But you, you didn't sin so much, but you were not willing to encounter me. We think it's a quantum of sins, and God says no. It's not. In Proverbs 29 verse 24, the fear of man brings a snare. But who trusts trust the Lord is safe? The fear of man is a trap. And there are people in the millions, I'm not talking people in the world, people in the church, who are trapped by this snare. So many get caught in this. What will man think? First question is, what do you think? What do you think? Luke chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus told him, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. He's telling the Pharisees, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You're living a life before people, pretending to be something else, when your heart is not right with God. God says, you know what? You men please us. Come before me like David. rend your heart before me. And I will say, you are my son. I will not take my spirit from you. I will not. David had been caught in that trap for months. But he chose. He chose. And he said, I have sinned. And God said. You're not grieving like Saul. You're not crying like Balaam. You're not crying like Pharaoh. You are hurting because you hurt me. Take on your sin from me. It's okay, son. I can handle these wounds. Come on. Get out of that trap, church. Choose Christ. For he came to set the captives free. Those who are captives of money. Captives of opinions of men. Captives to fear. Captives to laziness. Captives to pleasure. You need to realize all the young ones are hooked on to drugs. Why are they hooked on to drugs? Because there is pleasure in it. Why are they hooked on to pleasure? Because there is an eternal reality that in his right hand there is pleasures evermore. Everything that you and I desire inside was put in by God that it would be met in God and God alone. And the devil sells his cheap substitutes on the road and makes prisoners of young people. Real is Christ. In my right hand, there is pleasures evermore. You will not desire one thing in your life if there isn't an original in Christ. Leave that fake product and go for the original. Because he came to set the captives free. You should turn the tables to the devil and say, you know what? If this drug gives me a kick, I wonder what Jesus is like. What Jesus is like. I ain't going for this substitute. I'm going for the real. You know. That's a lie of the devil. The truth is this. Why do you wives long for something for your husband? Because there is a reality in Christ. Why do you husbands long for something in your wife? Because there is a reality of Christ's desire for his church. There is a reality. If that reality is in there, you wouldn't long for anything. The reality is in Christ. And it is Christ God has given us. For unto us, child is, Unto us, son is given. He says, this is the sum total of what I have to give you. This is salvation. He who has Christ has everything. Therefore, the only captivity that is right is what Paul declares in Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus. Chains don't bother me. Jails don't bother me. Famine doesn't bother me. Earthquakes don't bother me. Nothing bothers me because I am prisoner of Christ. That is the only captivity you should long for. Because he has taken me captive to do his will. Grace is there. Christ is not just truth. He's also all grace. The Holy Spirit is not just the Spirit of truth. He's also called the Spirit of grace. You read Hebrews 10, It's also called the Spirit of grace. And I can. I can do all the things he wants me to do because he is willing. That's what Paul means in Philippians 4. I can do all things. What? Christ, if you want to do anything through Christ, it can be done only through truth or the Father wills. Other things, out. I can do all. People take this and run away. I can't do all things. God says, "No, no, 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 no. You can't do all things. If you have to do it through Christ, then Christ must be formed in you. Each one of us can choose what we want to do in 2018. You can be an accuser, can be an excuser or you can choose God. God is our life. Remember we started with? Ahab. Told you seven chapters. You know what scripture says about God? God puts the seven chapters about one of the most wicked kings of Israel just to show his heart towards people. Because he knows what are we like grass here today gone tomorrow. He has pity on us. In 2nd Peter chapter 3, nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long suffering towards us. Not willing, any should perish, but come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody to perish. We think God wants to judge. God says, you know what, that's a strange thing. I don't like doing it. Which father likes spanking his child? Do you like a uh, big giant sitting over there and sleeping? In 17 years I've spanked him once. It hurt me more than it hurt him that day. Which father likes spanking? God says, you know, judgment is something I don't like. I have long suffering so that no one would perish. He may discipline us, but he doesn't want to destroy us. Again and again and again, God confronted Ahab with his word. Again and again. First with the drought, three and a half years, stiff. Okay, let's have a challenge between your prophets and my only prophet. He saw all that. Fire came down and then he says, okay, go eat. She would have said, no, I saw the fire of God. I'm not going to eat, I'm coming with you. No, he went to eat. Remember Elijah and Ahab on the mountain? Everything is over, fire has come down. I see the sound, you go eat. He went to eat. People don't realize you give choices like that. What do you want to do? I say, go eat. They will not say, no, pastor, I'm coming with you. Okay, thank you, I'm going to eat. Jesus' food is ready. <laughs> what do you do? You have to give people choices like that to see which way they will go. Elijah said, I know where I'm going. My work is not finished until the rain comes. I'm going back to pray. He says, okay, I'll go eat. You pray. That's how most people do. They don't carry their burdens. Okay. I'm going to work until, sir, will you pray for me? You bear, you bear my burden. Okay. Because I've got other things to do. I'm not saying you shouldn't call her to pray, but I'm saying when it becomes a habit, you're not carrying your burden. And because you don't carry your burden, God is not able to put somebody weaker's burden upon you. It's not right in the kingdom. 2018, you say, Lord, I'll carry my burden and I want you to put some more burden on me so that I can be like you. That is Ahab. Yeah. Nothing will change his heart. God intervenes. Next time you will see again. Ben Haddad, the king of Aram with 32 other kings comes with a big army. God will say, you know what? you deserve this. You changed my people to Baal worship. He says, sends the prophet and says, hey, I'm with you, okay? Fight, you will win. And he fights, he wins. This is a massive army. God gives, they have victory. You would think that after victory, he will turn and say, no more Baal, only Javi. No. The prophet comes and says, okay, remember, Next season, this fellow will come back again. So be prepared. So they were prepared. Because they believe, okay, we fought because it was in the mountains. That God is the God of mountains. Next time we shall go and fight them in the valleys. God says, you know what? We will teach them a lesson that I am the God of valleys too. Smacks them there completely. Destroyed. God had told him. Kill the king. You know, you know what this fellow does? He makes peace. We are brothers. Ben Hadad, we are brothers. Go. God is mad at him. know what he says in 1st Kings chapter 20? Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, your people for his people. So the king of Israel went, not upset, not repenting, not grieving, in anger. That's what God is telling I told you to deal with that particular sin in your life in 2017. Destroy it completely. I'm making peace. God says, you make peace with that one. That one, I will demand your life for that. God says, I'm angry with you. Why are you dealing with my sin? That's how people react. God says, you know what? I want to save you. Instead, you are angry with the one who is trying to save you. That is the help. After that, we know Naboth Vineyard. He kills an innocent man. His wife plots it all. He kills, takes his vineyard. Elijah comes, confronts, judgment is passed. He repents. God says, okay, I won't do it during your son. I'll do it during your sons." He looks at his repentance and says, okay, fine. I'm going to judge you. Then, again, Jehoshaphat's son has married Ahab's daughter. What a wonderful alliance. Ahab wants to go to war. He pulls in Jehoshaphat also problem is 400 prophets are sitting and prophesying victory, prosperity, victory, prosperity, go. Jehoshaphat is a little confused because he had never heard prophecy like this. <laughs> See, unlike Ahab, he watched only one channel. See, Jehoshaphat was used to one channel, while Ahab used to watch many channels. And every channel they come because they want your money, they are forever prophesying good things about you. So Jehoshaphat says, you know what? Something funny over here. Do you don't have a man of God here? You know what he says? He says, 22 verse 8. King Jehoshaphat said, is there still one man? The king of Israel said to there is still one man. Mikaiah, the son of Imla by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. I can't stand him. Why? Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. A prophet's job, the servant of God's job is to speak the truth, not to tell you what you like. That is not his job. The servant of God's job is to speak the truth, whether you like it or not because only the truth can save you. Please, don't say anything like that. What a criteria to judge a prophet. Hmm. If you don't say anything which I like, I am not coming back to church next week. Preach for one and a half hours and nothing positive. Listen to Joel Austin on TV and I have skin and my everything stands on the edge. <laughs> but was there scripture in his message? Forty minutes he spoke like knife in a butter. But where was scripture? What is he standing on? Thin air. No scripture. The back is script is messenger. It's a prepared script. <laughs> is it true? He does not prophesy anything? Good. Remember this one thing. God is good. Everything he says is good. Doesn't matter how we perceive it. It's always good. Nothing bad comes from him. It's good. You mean his judgment is good. Truth is good. Choose 2018 to obey it. God in his mercy still kept one voice in the midst of 400. Ahab's downfall, like many people in Christendom, downfall will happen not because of lack of truth, but because of the rejection of truth. You can understand the pressure this poor, it's not Elijah, okay, it's a poor fellow called Micaiah. Elijah has experience. He's not afraid of anybody. This is Micaiah. Kings, let's see at verse 10. King of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria and all the prophets prophesied before them. The king is sitting in their thrones in their royal robes. 400 prophets are prophesying. In the middle of it, this fellow comes. Can you imagine his pressure? Not only that, the guy who went to call him what does the messenger say in verse 13? Then the messenger who had gone to call Micah spoke to him saying, Now please, please. Listen. The words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. 400 people, one accord. There is unity there. Aren't we all striving for He must have quartered from the psalm like oil from Aaron's beard. Brothers, Dill in unity. You see, one accord. And the king is greatly encouraged. Please, please. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Please. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. I will speak. Can you imagine the pressure in ministry? Change the message? So it doesn't buckle. Verse 14. Yeah. Then Micaiah said, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand, on his left. Let me tell you, king of Judah, king of Israel, you're sitting in your court, in your throne, in your royal robes with all these 400. I see another council. I see the Lord sitting and his council. That council will determine the outcome of this. There are two councils. It's a council that takes place in heaven. It's a council that takes place in Delhi. It's a council that takes place in heaven, a council that takes place in Washington. It will not be determined by Delhi or Washington. It will be determined by the council of God. And I see that. And he says, I will speak that. Verse 23. Therefore look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets and the Lord has declared. It's decreed. Order passed in heaven. Nobody can do anything here. Disaster for you. Decreed. If you don't want disaster, stay home. If you listen to these guys and go out, order passed in heaven. Decreed. God has revealed everything Ahab needs to know to prevent disaster. Question is, will he listen? Will we listen? His heart is hardened. Oh, also, so very manipulative. Can we accept the hard truth of God? You know what the Holy Spirit tells through Paul? About the people who will perish? It says, this is the reason they will perish. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why is the only reason they perish... Because they did not receive the truth. Ask yourself. When you go home and you have a TV and you have all these channels, which one will you pick? Fellow who speaks smoothly to you. Because you do not have the love of truth. He says they will perish because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be. Saved. What can save us? Truth. What can keep on saving us? Truth. Why? Because we are born again by? Truth. We are given birth by truth. That's what James 1.18 says. God is truth. His spirit is truth. His word is truth. His church is the filler of truth. And those who perish, they perish only because they did not receive what? Love of truth. We need to receive the love of truth. Not just truth. The love of truth. That's what Bible is talking about. Ahab is good. He's a smart, good means he's a smart fellow. He disguises himself. He says, okay, you see 400 people have prophesied this way, this one has prophesied, and I believe this guy. Let me see what I will do, okay? They said, so I will He told Jehoshaphat is a naive fellow. You shouldn't be naive. Scripture says be wise as a serpent, gentle as a Instead we are opposite. We are wise as a dove who has no brains. Okay. And gentle as a serpent. Oh, nice. He told him, you know what? Yeah. Today we'll go to battle. You know, I will just dress ordinary. You wear the king's robe and he would have thought, yak what a chance. Israel and Judah, I will lead them. When he went into the battlefield, he didn't realize God is intervening supernaturally into the hearts of the king of Aram and says, leave everybody, just get a hug. Jehoshaphat goes over there and sees everybody is looking for the king, he's running for his life. The answer is this. If God's counsel has been decreed and you go out in opposition of it, No disguise is going to help you. No armor is going to protect you. There is no armor against the hand of God. There is armor against the hand of the devil. There is no armor against the hand of God. You can disguise yourself before man. You cannot disguise yourself before God. It's not possible. Such a simple statement. Verse thirty four. Now a certain man. Certain man. Just a necessary. Irrelevant. Because the focus is on Ahab. Certain man. What did he do? Drew a bow and aim. No a random. Man. Struck the king of Israel between the Have you seen the armor? It's tied like this on the side. Side. He went through the crack and killed him. No armor can protect you from the hand of God. No disguise can hide your face from the hand of God. Casual in the eyes of man. But truth is not casual. Truth is not random. Truth is certain. It is certain, it's been decreed in heaven. How we'll pass out judgment, I don't know, but it's already been passed out. I oh, want the worship team to come. So we put our lives on this the person of Christ. Because it doesn't matter what happens in the world. Everything is happening according to the destined, determined counsel of God. For God has seen the end from the beginning. History is just his story. If you want to be part of the story, then Christ has to grow in us. Our story is not written. His story in us is the only one that is recorded. Jesus told this. Nobody can stop truth. Nobody can stop the march of truth. He told the representative of the greatest power on earth. That is Caesar's representative. Ask the question, what is truth? Answer is, Jesus would have said, he didn't wait, he just walked away. I am truth. Truth cannot be stopped. Everyone that is on the side of truth, Jesus said, listens to me, my voice. To the young ones sitting over here, older ones sitting over there, those who are struggling in their offices, their lives, their marriages, letting tell you there is only one truth. The truth is, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Ultimately we will all stand before the person of God. That is truth. And be judged by the word of God. It is also truth. Jesus said all judgment has been handed over to me by the father. But I will not judge no one. You will be judged by my word. Simple. 2017. This old hymn. This old hymn was a famous hymn during the American Civil War. Those who were fighting to abolish slavery. The Union is Abraham Lincoln's side. Not the Confederates the Union Army. And they used to sing in the night in their campfires. They used to sing. Because every battle is fought over a cause. There is no battle that is not fought over a cause. But which cause is true? The answer is which cause is true? This was the song they used to sing. My nine have seen the glory of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is trampling on the vintage where the graves of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Two thousand years post Christ history, every empire has collapsed under this truth. Every empire that tried to stop this could never. Empires have gone, civilizations have gone, nations have gone, everything has gone. The truth is still marching on because it is not an idea, it is not an ideology, it is the very person of God. Shall we stand as we sing this song?
1: The coming of the Lord, He is trampling all the ventures where the graves of wrath are stored. He is losing the lighting of the seraphim's sword.
0: church a year is ahead of us and this should be our prayer forget the world just think about yourself, ourselves Lord I want your truth to march on in me starting today when I come back at the end of next year I really want to know Lord it's you who has grown taken over my life your truth defines my life Your grace is that empowers. I'm not living my life in that plain land of Egypt working by the strength of my body, my mind. But I'm allowing you to lead me to the land of hills and valleys. Where my rain comes from above. Teach me Lord to love your truth. To receive the love of your truth. That I might love you and serve you with all my heart, with all my soul. And everything that is not of you, every lie in my mind, every stronghold be broken in Jesus' name and be replaced by your truth, and by your spirit. We thank you, Lord, you didn't come with truth alone like Moses. You came with grace and with truth. Power to set us free. Power to walk in that freedom. As your servant Paul prayed, I pray Lord you will make us all prisoners of Christ. For we've been set from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of Christ. 2018, I pray the church Everyone would really experience Christ in us. The hope of our glory. There is no other hope. If you are able to sing hallelujah glory, it is because of Christ in us who is the hope of our glory. For in us there is nothing, absolutely nothing good. Nothing good, Lord. For everything that is good is in you. Just surrender ourselves as a church. We just surrender. Your hand be there upon us, O oh God. Guide us through this year. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being true, Lord, to yourself. That's why we are here. That's why we still have conviction in our hearts. That's why we still have remorse over our sins. Because you were true. You didn't prophesy falsely to us. Thank you, thank you, Father, for being true and faithful. This morning, we just pray, you make us true. You make us faithful to you. Nations will come and pass. Dispensations will change. There is only one who is true. From everlasting to everlasting. You are still on the same throne. Ahab is gone. Jehoshaphat is gone. The counsels of men have been forgotten. God is on the throne. And his counsel stands forever. Help us like Micaiah to see the counsel of heaven and hearken our ears to the decrees of heaven and to walk in obedience to those decrees. For you are our life, our only life this year. Help us to be choosers of God, not accusers, not excuses. Jesus of God. Thank you, Father. May your hand rest upon everyone and empower us to keep what you speak to us every day. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Now we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us.
1: Amen.